Real quick before we start the show, Pacific Bitcoin is going to be awesome. November 10th and 11th, Santa Monica, California. Do hope to see you there. You can go to PacificBitcoin.com to buy tickets. Use promo code CAFE for a discount. In the words of Michael Saylor, it is going to be the Bitcoin event of the year. VIP gets you into everything, including the VIP party as well as the VIP rap party. Of course, GAA gets you all kinds of cool stuff as well, and there's going to be plenty of events and things to do. I hope to see you there. Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right. I, I know Greg's not a huge fan of, of the deal, just the, the business from a business transaction perspective, but from, from a, um, like a world kind of, uh, what, what's that analogy they use town square. It's kind of a town square where people can come and talk. Something has changed. Have you not noticed last night was like a moment of catharsis, like, all these people were all over Twitter saying all the things they were afraid to say for the last two years. The Upon perfect. taking the helm at Twitter, Elon Musk fired the management CEOs out. CFO is out. Their head priestess of woke ideology is out. Word on the street is that all permaband accounts are going to be reinstated. And granted, look, there's a certain number of people out there who are completely melting down over this shit, understandably so. Because if people can freely point out where they're fucking fucked up, that's a problem for them. So here's... <laughs> you, you guys remember uh, when we had um, Natalie Smolensky on the show... There's the thing she said, man, it resonated and it stuck with me and it's been going through my mind ever since. She said the most powerful form of censorship is self-censorship. If they can get you to change your own behavior, that's the way they win. And if you, to me, the important takeaway is, is that people last night we're all saying what they were afraid to say, literally afraid to say for the last two years, which shows that if the objective was to get people to self-censor, it actually worked to a large extent. That is mind blowing to me. So I don't know what it all means, but I think it matters. Open to comments. Go. It feels like the, when the Berlin wall fell, like kind of moment, but on a digital kind of like, you know, landscape, it's, it's wonderful, man. 
not not to rain on this parade, but I mean, how many people are really, I mean, we are affected by this because we're here every day. We're on Twitter all the time. But I mean, come on, how many people are really affected by this? The people that come into this space, um, like the guy, not this space, but the guy the other day, the, the journalist, um, Alex, that came in, Scott, whatever his name was, I mean, you know, with a million followers. He was like, most people aren't on Twitter. And maybe that's the reason most people aren't on Twitter, but I kind of doubt it. But I, I, I just like to think, you know, uh, we're kind of in an echo chamber here on Twitter, and maybe this doesn't affect that many people. As someone who's been maybe. shadow banned numerous times and has been banned so many times and has had my account locked for basically like saying things against CNBC, which I think is an advertiser on Twitter. I have no idea, but you start going down the rabbit hole. You have to put on your, your tinfoil hat and you start trying to investigate why you would be suddenly banned or why suddenly all of your followers would be removed and you're back to zero. I mean, I've had some funny things happen to me. And then the, the telling case for me was the time that I had tweeted something literally like to Jack, where I was like rubbing it in his face that the shadow ban tester was broken. And it looked like he was banned from his own or shadow banned from his own platform. And I put a little snarky tweet like, you know, I am Jack's sense of self-loathing from the Fight Club movie. And boom, I was banned for like two months or however long that was. I was in read only mode, you know, just for saying something and tagging at Jack. And, you know, I had I had said some stuff about uh what's his name from brian kelly from cnbc when he was up there telling he had two screenshots one was how to buy ripple and it was like it showed the price was like three dollars or something like that and he's telling people on cnbc how to buy ripple and you know and then it was like a little bit later how to sell ripple and it was like way down in price on the little box you know and i'm just like seriously and i put them both together and I put that as a tweet and I was like, you guys really listen to these idiots, you know, and stuff like that. Like this legacy system, these experts are dinosaurs in this space. And, I, you know, that was what I would hope to highlight. Boom, shadow ban. Couldn't hear anything. I was like, nobody was saying, like, I would say stuff. It was like I was tweeting in the wilderness, you know, just like nobody could see it. And, you know, and then at the same time, you got this guy in, in front of Congress saying, we do not shadow ban, you know. So, I mean, it's. It's going to be interesting. At the same time, I never forget. I think a lot of people get wrapped up in the case of like free speech and like we should just be able to come on Twitter and like say whatever the hell we want. But this is like a corporation that's like owned by somebody. They can do whatever they want on this platform. So I don't know where it all is. I don't like being shadow banned. It's happened to me multiple times. I've been affected by this multiple times. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Okay, one follow-up comment, and this is uh, sort of in reply to what you were saying, Peter. You may be right. Uh, you know, maybe it is a gigantic echo chamber, but I think two things about Twitter as a platform. Number one is that I suspect Twitter has a higher concentration of sort of deep thinkers, thought, think, thought leaders, kind of critical thinkers. Show me which... Which social media platform are critical thinkers, thought leaders in any industry or area of interest getting together and arguing with each other? Which platform is that? Name it. Twitter. Twitter. Is there another one? Is there one where people are doing it more than Twitter? Thought leaders. Bitcoin Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> Bitcoin it's Twitter. Twitter. 
I, I think it's probably wi- what? Twitter. So that's the first part. Thought leaders do set the tone for the rest of society. Believe it or not, human beings by nature tend to follow the lead of other human beings. It's just what we do. Like humans are attracted to the, to, and I think suspect this goes all the way back to the caveman days. Like which caveman is most likely to keep, uh, keep us alive. You know what I mean? This, this dude over here, he looks like he knows what he's doing. He just, he just killed a brontosaurus with a stick. I mean, let's follow this guy. It's just natural nature. I mean, it's been wired into us. All right. So that's the first so, part. So I'd like to, I'd like to think Alex that, this particular show um, has an incredible amount of signal and alpha. And the fact that I'm on stage now just frightens me. It it frightens all of us, but you're the counterpoint. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I love you, Peter. All right. The second thing is, second thing is a key tenet of propaganda is making you believe you're the only one who thinks the way you think. And everyone agrees there's scientific consensus that you are wrong. And the only way that they can make that happen is by silencing the opposition. All right. So that's one of the other things about platforms like Twitter is that, you know, you say the echo chamber thing, okay, maybe, you know, I'll give it some, you know, I'll give it some credence, but here's the other part about that is you get into a space like this and you hear people saying what you're thinking and you're sitting there by yourself looking around at what's going on and you're like, man, am I crazy? Am I really the only one who sees this? Am I going crazy? And then you realize, oh my God, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one. And that, my friends, is the danger to their systems of control. I don't know who's who's had their hand up first. Decode. Go D. Thank you. Um, so I, I want to piggyback off that a little bit. And um, that's why I hopped on stage. So like with the critical thinking part and just uh, arguing and debating. And um, so Tesla, the way I see it is it, it kind of outside of the car company, it's an AI company. And all the early cars were kind of like training the AI with like the people, the customers were training the AI. And um, I have this theory that Elon partially also wants Twitter so he can take the the spaces and take all that like like uh, human-to-human, real uh, data, real conversation in real time and feed it to his AI in real time, like on maybe political topics, whatever's going on, but it, it will be totally different than plugging in data from the past. Like the AI can mm. learn in real time. Yeah. That's actually a damn good point. Because if you, if you think about it, like if this is the place for critical discussion, you could probably measure which arguments win. And by doing that, you could teach an AI, like how do you, how do you best serve information to people that's going to win? That's, that's an interesting Creepy. Andrews and then Wicked. Yeah, that's a that's a fascinating point. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I just wanted to uh, just like echo uh, back to what uh, Peter was saying that like we're in an echo chamber. I think that, you know, like, sure, there's niche like uh, subcultures in Twitter, Twitter, but 
you know, like all the others, like organizations, like the president has a Twitter account, like all like uh, heads of states have Twitter accounts, like, you know, so there is some uh, value to to this like digital uh, uh, plaza. You know, it's like it, it might seem to us that it's, it's very like uh, bubbly or clicky, but I feel like the reach globally is like it's, it's massive and it, it has a huge impact on, on the world. Yeah. A quick congratulations to Terrence on your uh, recent promotion to assistant regional twit. Well done, sir. Wicked. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. They, they wanted me to make me assistant to the regional twit, and I objected. So I won that one for now. <laughs> and you demanded $17 million on top of it. <laughs> I did. Okay. Well done, sir. Go Wicked. Um, I think another thing that... Elon might be using Twitter spaces for is um, learning how, like having AI learn how to how to talk with cadence and and actually sound like a human. I mean, they're trying to build a robot right now that's like all you know a general purpose robot. It'd be really nice that robot or any AI that they build sounds like a fucking person when it talks. So don't don't be surprised if you know a few years from now you literally cannot tell the difference between a real person and a computer talking like it, it, it will honestly happen fast, really fucking fast. It's going to be weird. Where do you see the dating I apps in the future? I can't even tell the difference between white people sometimes. <laughs> Yay. The new Twitter is awesome. It works. Yeah. But Terrence, that's because you're in Starbucks. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, okay, here's another thing that I noticed, and we can probably ask Greg Foss about this for for to see if he's noticed this. But it seems to me like just like that, the bots are gone. Like usually, if if a big account posts something, Whoa. the whole thread is full nah. of bots. No man, it's it's worse. It's been worse for me the past couple of days. Like really worse bad. for There's you. Weird. I looked in Sife's thread. There was no bots. No bots in Sife's thread. Interesting. Well, he might have put on, he might have flipped on the only, you know, people that follow or he follows can respond. But I, I, I posted a video recently and, and the, uh, the weirdest version of the bot that I've seen where they just retweet the video link with your original caption. But like it was like done in math. So like it got retweeted like a hundred times by just these bots for no fucking reason. It's so weird. It's like, why, <laughs> why are they doing that? I don't get it. I mean, I guess maybe they're, they're starting that up so that in the future they can like try to, you know, maybe uh, copy the account. I don't know, but it's weird. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a psycho, like, you know, the idea there is if they're retweeting your stuff, then you're going to be less likely to report them. I don't know. It's bot weaponry wicked. You piss someone off. The bots are trying to collect followers so that they can have the next stage of the, of the mission. Yeah. <laughs> My well, they had, a bug in the script. they had a bug in the script where it didn't uh, properly, you know, parse the the return. And so when I had like a return and then hashtag Bitcoin, they fucked it up and the hashtag got all fucked up. So jokes on them. They just retweeted a bunch of garbage. It'll get refined. <laughs> yeah, well, well, no, there was an interesting theory I heard. It was like it was, some guy was talking about how the orange check mark couldn't work because you know, like for some you know scammers, it still might be, um, still might be profitable to scam. 
And then I was thinking, man, like this is just like the miners, right? It's like only only the most efficient scammers survive the orange check mark, and it actually makes them more anti fragile. <laughs> like, can you imagine if we started getting really, really good anti fragile scammers because of the orange check mark? Yeah, I mean that's the way it would go, right? I mean they keep hammering against each other. We're we're refining both sides, the defense and the offense, and it's just going to continue that way until you know. I don't know. But you know what? It was funny. I was thinking about the other day is that a lot of people on Bitcoin Twitter are excited about this Elon takeover of Twitter. And even some I saw some tweets even about again about this orange check mark and what a great idea to kill spam and blah, blah, blah. But the thing that I didn't see anybody consider is what if it's just done with Doge and all of us have to purchase Doge to like you know, <laughs> engage in your to get your orange check mark and to be able to keep your box away. Everything has to be paid in Doge. Are you still going to like this guy? Yeah, I admit that would suck. Maybe instead of a check mark, you have like a little doggy face thing. I mean, you know, honestly, like let them do it in Doge and then let's see how fucking fast it fails. So like just get it over with, you know what I'm saying? Like fuck this shit. Every attack vector must be explored. Let's go. Bring it. Yeah. Honey Badger I mean, doesn't a give a shit. Of, I've got a bunch of DGen friends who are, are really like, you know, upside down in their Doge positions anyway. So, you know, it's like some of my friends get happy along the way. You know, it's unfortunate they're in shit coins. But like, dude, I've got a friend who's DCing into Doge. Keep fucking about, that shit. It's so, I was about to ask. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so painful to hear, man. Ugh. I, I can't help him. The worst part is that they get enabled by the by the fucking market. Like, you know, the market like enables the this addiction to like pump and dumps. It's it's if uh by the way, this is the uh a, a public service announcement. If you're going to Pacific Bitcoin, you tend to uh, you intend to attend the pleb party and you're in a position where you can maybe make a small donation to Anders who's setting up the pleb party on Wednesday night. That thing has blown up. They're well over 200 RSVPs and growing. Apparently, they keep having to find different places to move the party to because not everywhere you can have 200 people packed in there all at the same time. And he's having to come out of pocket for some of this stuff. So if you want to DM the guy. Good morning, Greg Foss. Hey, good morning, Alex. Um, wanted to uh, congrats yesterday's call. Um, I had to jump off early, but I heard most of Fred uh, Teal's uh, commentary from uh, on the Bitcoin Mining Square. Um, thought it was excellent. So just uh, shout out to Dr. Jeff Ross with uh, three on-point questions for uh, Fred. Uh, so I don't know how it ended. Uh, would you be able to give me a summary or just a quick hands up, or a thumbs up, thumbs down? Was it uh, well received by by the group? Was it uh, pretty explanatory on how difficult the uh, Bitcoin mining business is? Uh, how, how did you feel? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I think to me the most interesting thing was, you know, how the heck do you navigate a uh, nuclear winter in Bitcoin? And um, it sounds like they're doing pretty good, and uh, which is, it says a lot to me about Fred's, the way he runs the company and is able to foresee that uh, and prepare the company to move through it. Like, that's a big deal. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of companies get wrecked um, during these cycles. 
And, you know, you got to have leadership at the helm, I guess, that can steer through that. So I think he, I think he did pretty good. I mean, I had some DMs of people who clearly don't like Fred or Marathon. <laughs> um, but, I mean, you're going to get that. I think in general, it was, it was really, it was really good. I think Fred's a great speaker. He was well presented. He's impressive. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know they only had 25 employees. That's crazy. Or, or whatever he said. Yeah, I think it was around 25. I think, or yeah, 25 or 24. I don't remember. But uh, so um, wanted to comment quickly, if I may, on the results uh, from Amazon. Um, people, if you're out there and you really are that poor at analyzing a company and something called free cash flow burn, uh, every single sale that Amazon makes, they lose money. And yet this is a company that's got, you know, a trillion dollar mega cap. And I'm not going to say that Amazon's going out of business by any means, but man, if you think Bitcoin mining is a tough business, try losing money on every single sale, uh, literally. Um, and there's an old expression, you know, lose money on every trade, but make it up in volume. Well, it's the same thing in, uh, in the Amazon case. So I just can't tell you how Bitcoin is so important as a diversifier of true risk in any portfolio. And it is not a tech stock. It is not a long duration tech stock. It should not be used as a hedge for your idiot tech positions, Gary Black. Okay. Learn that Bitcoin is actually a long volatility position which is to say it gets more valuable as the world gets more risky. So the beautiful part about Bitcoin, no theta, meaning no time expiry on a long volatility, basically option position, and most beautifully, no counterparty risk. Bitcoin is absolutely the most beautiful portfolio diversification tool in the market right now. And that's why I can't remember who did your, uh, your news story this morning, but that's why Fidelity is seeing 58% of their clients are into digital assets. Let's hope that most of that is in Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the only digital asset that matters as we all know. But on that front, Amazon is a dumpster fucking fire, people, okay? Like, honest to God, do some real work. Their stock-based compensation is fucking ridiculous, okay? This is an example of the fiat Ponzi. So don't want hate mail from you, Jeff Bezos. Like, dude, you've built a great company. You just got to learn to start making money for once, okay? Because that's what capitalism is all about. So uh, there's my rant for the morning. Uh, open to suggestions or criticism, game on. I think one thing people often forget is how big Amazon's AWS part of their business is. I mean, that's the real cash cow. So, I mean, <laughs> their, you know, Amazon.com retail can go to hell and they'd still be a huge, huge cloud. Um, slowest growth, slowest growth, slowest growth in their history in Amazon cloud. So, or AWS. So, you know, people pay up for growth. That's no question. But there's a price for everything. Don't take me to where I went on Pubby's show yesterday about a price for everything. But just understand, you got to know 
the right price to pay for something. You also got to know the right price or time to sell something. I guess that's my point. Fair. All right. Let's talk about some interesting adoption markers that are going on here. So, so far this year, uh, we have surpassed $14 trillion USD terms um, transiting transferred, I should say, over the Bitcoin network, which is already ahead of last year. The entire year last year was $13.1 trillion, so we're already at $14 trillion for the year and growing a couple months left to go. Once again, price doesn't tell you everything. You got to look at adoption markers, what's happening. You know, here's another one. Payments oh, giant. Sorry, just on, on that one, um, I just want to say that you know how these ESG activists, they keep comparing Bitcoin electricity usage to medium-sized or small countries? We should be doing that with uh, $14 trillion because I bet um, there's a good chance that if the numbers look good for us, that Bitcoin usage is much higher than some of these small countries we're being compared to on energy or electricity. Great point. Great point. So what are you using the electricity for, right? Is it? You know, washing clothes, buying Halloween costumes. Like, what is it? The worst. Me, the... Go ahead, Ant. No, I, I, I said the worst, too. It's not even that. I just that it's the, one of the most ironic, I'll say, to me that I keep seeing. And it's pretty much like, I mean, maybe it's not this way all around the U.S., but I would come to confidently say that it's in every of the cities that I've been to that I've seen like a rich area or a nice area. And they always have those white Christmas lights all over. And they talk, I know we've done that Christmas lights analogy before, but it's like, this is all year round. They have it like in Houston, you can go to like the Galleria area and they have these white lights all over the area. And they're just there every night, regardless of what time of year. Miami Beach, right there on Alton Road, when you're crossing over from the beach and you take that stretch all the way down from 112 all the way to the beach, that whole strip is white Christmas lights all year round. For what? Wrapped around the trees, around the buildings and the park benches. For what? They don't even talk about it. Yeah, that'd be an interesting thing to figure out. Like, what are they spending on that? <laughs> okay, <clears throat> moving on. More, more indicators, right? Payments giant Visa files trademark application for crypto platform wallet and NFTs. Biggest payment network on the planet. So according to new documents, they're filing trademark apps to create digital asset exchange, among other things. They've announced that they're going to be collaborating with FTX to offer crypto debit cards in over 40 nations. And uh, here's another one, blockchain visa, blockchain.com. Not sure I like that, but whatever. They have a huge wait list, like 50,000 people have signed up for that thing. And then... Finally, according to Glassnode data, this one was interesting to me. Don't know if it means anything, but I found it interesting. Um, Three-month hodlers are at an all-time low, historically aligned with market cycle bottoms. Quote, we've never had such a low level of people in Bitcoin less than 12 months old. It's at 11.51%. So the newbies who came in felt like they were burned most of them are gone now. And so that to me is pretty bullish. The supply shock, it'll turn it around and it'll, you know, happen when we least suspect it. Always seems like it does. So 
Just hang in there. Keep stacking. Keep holding. Okay, here's an interesting one from Fidelity. I'd like to get some thoughts from Worth, Dr. Jeff, and maybe Greg, if I'm sure Greg may have some thoughts about this too. So they're talking about resilience during the crypto winter. U.S. high net worth investors' future intentions are 74%, according to Fidelity's report, 74% of investors in this category plan to buy or invest digital assets in the next year or so, up from 31% a year earlier. And institutional investors are experiencing, are, oh, sorry, institutional investors are experienced in managing through cycles and the largely inherent factors that they cited as appealing in this study will likely remain as a market emerges from this period. You guys have any thoughts on these? I'll let Jeff go ahead. Hey everybody. Um, I, it was, uh, I had that little 10 second delay, so I didn't hear actually uh, 10 seconds of what you just said. Something about fidelity. If yeah, anybody fidelity. else wants to answer it, I can. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in Jeff. Basically it's the adoption rate at, uh, at fidelity, uh, indications of interest amongst retail and institutional investors increased to, uh, well, I think I saw the number 58% is what is institutional uh, investors already own some big uh, digital assets. And then I think Alex was saying that the numbers are going to go higher on intentions to purchase uh, uh, digital assets. <clears throat> I, I guess what it all comes down to is what I was saying before is this ability to see a decoupling between um, the risk on thesis that Bitcoin should be a uh, traded as a risk on asset uh, versus how it's been performing over the last uh, three ish months. Uh, it's got lower volatility than the Dow Jones industrial average that opens some really big eyes. OK, when you can have asymmetry to the upside that Bitcoin has and have a an asset that is less volatile than the 30 largest companies in the world. I mean, that blows me away. All right. As an institutional uh, investor, uh, you know, you have clients that measure risk with vol by volatility. Now, I don't typically like to use volatility as a measure of risk. Uh, I subscribe to the Bill Miller uh, thesis that uh, volatility is the price of return, meaning if you have something that's not volatile, chances are it won't perform or show you upside optionality. That being said, most VAR analysis, value at risk analysis, uh, revolves around using volatility as the core measure. Uh, when institutional investors say, my God, you know, I've been wiped out in bonds, uh, they are more volatile than ever. Uh, I'm getting absolutely carved in equities. And this thing called Bitcoin is showing uh, non-correlation and more importantly, it's less volatile. Uh, it's just all the ingredients are there for them to take their, you know, exposure to digital assets up uh, as a group. But hopefully it's all in Bitcoin to something above zero. And that's how money moves. It moves slowly. It needs to be endorsed by a investment policy committee. Uh, some of those investment policy policy committee members will be against it, but they're generally old like Charlie Munger and time will take care of that. Uh, and then as the young kids start uh, getting into positions of more authority on inv investment policy committees, uh, you'll see the digital asset uh, allocations increase. But just do the math then. If you, know, uh, if you take 5% of total global assets 
that's $45 trillion because uh, total global assets is $900 trillion U.S. dollars. Well, 5% of $900 trillion is your $45 trillion, and then $45 trillion divided by $21 million. Uh, you're over $2 million bucks of Bitcoin, U.S. dollars, in today's dollars. Fucking A. I mean, I can't say it any other way. You need exposure to this beautiful optionality, asymmetric investments define careers. Um, this is the best one I've ever seen. Over to you, Jeff. Yeah, I love it, Greg. Lo love your logic on that. And a couple points. One, uh, I always like to say that volatility, uh, excuse me, risk only equals, um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, too early in the morning. Let me Let me start over. Volatility only equals risk in academia, right? Only academics uh, consider volatility as actual risk. True financial or economic or monetary risk is the chance of losing your purchasing power over time, uh, regardless of what investment or asset class you put your money in. So the risk-free U.S. Treasuries have been extremely risky, I would suggest, this this year, right? You've lost a lot of purchasing power if you've held treasuries and any bond basically this year. Um, that That's true risk, right? You, these people just lost their purchasing power in a substantial amount. If people had 60-40 stock bond portfolios, which most people do in their 401ks or IRAs, they have lost a lot of purchasing power this year, and I think they're going to lose some more too. Um, getting back to what Alex was saying about the Fidelity announcement, you know what? This is just a part of Bitcoinization, right? And I like to kind of just liken it to internetization back in the late 90s and early 2000s. The growth and adoption was happening right under everybody's noses, like of the internet, right? You, you, the people who were in the know, who understood how the internet worked and could see where it was going, they're like, well, yeah, of course, of course, this is going to be adopted throughout the world. Of course, the internet will be ubiquitous. Of course, any internet related company uh, is going to just crush it over the next 10, 20, 30 years. We're at literally the exact same point with Bitcoin right now. We're like late 90s phase. Those of us who are in the know, we say, of course, Bitcoin adoption is happening. Of course, the infrastructure is being built out. Of course, use cases are being built out right under our noses. People are talking about Bitcoin being dead. They think it's failed because it's back down to 20,000 or whatever it is right now. They're just so clueless to what's going on. Anybody who is invested in Bitcoin and saving in Bitcoin for the long run is going to do well. Anybody who is building on the Bitcoin network, whether it's personally with your savings or uh, business-wise with a company or at the sovereign level like El Salvador, um, if you are building on a foundation of Bitcoin, you are just basically guaranteed to ride its coattails to success. Uh, so Fidelity right now, what, 74% of people plan on investing in Bitcoin. I think they threw crypto in there as well. That's going to be 100% at some point. Uh, we're not there yet, but we're watching the build out of Bitcoin happen all throughout the world. At some point, it will be ubiquitous. We just have to be patient and wait. To Greg's point, I mean, it's literally this um, this call option that never expires, right? It's just going to go up and up and up and adoption will increase and increase and increase. And all we got to do is be patient. We got to sit through the volatility and just enjoy the ride higher. So real quick, I was going to ask if um, there had ever been uh, any other points in Bitcoin's history where volatility was less than the stock market. And, you know, while I was waiting, I looked it up and <laughs> guess what article showed up <clears throat> for the first time in a year. Bitcoin is less volatile than the stock market dated November 4th, 2018. <laughs> guess what happened two weeks later, guys? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, this. 
this kind of this period where we're less volatile than than everything else or than other things um it's only temporary i mean we know what happens with bitcoin it fucking rips and it dumps i mean hard so you know enjoy this 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 kind of nice stable coin action at at 18 to 21k will it last because you know we're either going a lot fucking lower or a lot fucking higher and probably pretty soon in my opinion Worth. Wow. Good morning, man. It's been a little bit since we've had you up here. Hey, Alex. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, I support the thoughts of Dr. Jeff and Foss. I might add, though, let's just kind of take this down to not look at just total global assets, but let's just look at, you know, total, you know, assets under management um, with wealth managers and asset managers. So, Currently, I guess the last figure that was was about 111 trillion um, was global AUM. And <clears throat> excuse me, um, if you just assume, and that was a 220 number, uh, 2020, excuse me, number. If you assume that um, that 111 trillion in global assets under management took a two and a half percent position in Bitcoin. It would equate to roughly seven trillion in inflows. Let that sink in for a second. Price Waterhouse Coopers projects that by 2025, total client assets will be 345 trillion and global AUM will be 145 trillion. So um, just under the AUM, it's about a 30% growth. And if you put a two and a half percent allocation on that, you're talking about 8.6 trillion in Bitcoin inflow. Um, here's where I'm going with this. Bitcoin can operate on its own without asset managers. So it will be the largest complement slash enhancer or competitor to traditional global asset managers, period, full stop, end of story. Um, count on adoption. The next five years are going to blow away the last 10 years plus. So um, I have conversations with a lot of these asset managers on a regular basis that are just peers. Um, and uh, they know they need a solution um, because they don't want to lose the business. Um, so just a little bit of different perspective. I thought I would share. That's awesome. Worth it's Foss. Uh, look, um, I'll, I will share with the group that uh, I've been in touch with a top five pension uh, allocator in Canada uh, that is taking this square very, very, very seriously. Okay. Um, they, the concentration in wealth in Canada is much larger amongst the asset management uh, than there, than it is in the USA. Uh, in Canada, there's only really 40, 40 true uh, plans that matter. Uh, whereas in the USA, the rule of 10, meaning you should take Canada and multiply it by 10, there's far more than 400 uh, asset managers in the USA. In fact, there's probably more than 4,000. Point simple here is uh, the concentration of money in Canada, as long as one person does it, everyone else is soon to follow. So I'll, 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 you know, ditto uh, what Worth just said. Um, it's a game of preserving your client base. Why do you think that BlackRock 
is offering uh, digital assets? Well, it's very simple because Fidelity, the number five uh, asset manager in the world, is offering it. And BlackRock, the number one, is losing clients to Fidelity for not offering it. So all of this is true. Uh, AUM amongst asset managers will go down if they do not get uh, uh, have this silo for digital assets. It's that simple. And then just to respond to Wicked, look, you know, yeah, I understand that Bitcoin will be volatile. It's the nature of the beast. I like volatility. Uh, you know, I, you got you people know that I spent my life as a trader. So volatility and trading are synonymous. Uh, but the asset allocators, this is not lost on them. They do not do things as a trade. An asset allocator is for a 10 year allocation okay a 10-year allocation and things like reduced volatility over a particular time frame helps them sell that to their investment policy committee i hope uh, you guys understand the difference between volatility for trading and then volatility for asset manager allocation thanks hey foss can i add something to that um you know with respect to because this is the, the type of clients and, and folks that that I deal with on a daily basis, large institutions, whether pensions, endowments, foundations, family offices, or whatever, you know, publicly and from a performance standpoint, they hate vol. They do everything they can do to reduce volatility in their portfolio. What they don't talk about is there's a portion of their portfolio institutionally that they need vol. And they look for those uncorrelated, you know, unique assets to deliver that positive volatility for them. And Bitcoin definitely has those characteristics. Um, when the bit, when the volatility is out of Bitcoin, Bitcoin will have saturated the planet. So uh, the volatility in Bitcoin is not a not a bad thing at all. One thing else I would like to add to go back to this. Um, this data that I shared from global AUM standpoint, if by 2025, there's 145 trillion in global assets under management, and there's a two and a half percent Bitcoin allocation from that global AUM, as I said, it's 8.6 trillion in client inflows. Okay. That doesn't include the coefficient. I I'm not smart enough to know what that is. Uh, it doesn't translate to, you know, one-to-one -one market cap. I don't know if it's a three times or if it's a hundred times, I don't know, but I know for a fact, it's not a one-to-one. -one. Um, so that was one additional point I wanted to make. Yeah, certainly not one-to-one. -one. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's it got to be at least four-to-one market cap, uh, excuse me, uh, price increase versus market cap injection. Uh, in fact, once you feel those flows, you're going to be you're going to be seeing people front running that. So uh, it might even be bigger worth. But uh, don't try and uh, get fancy here. Just DCA. Understand that this is a 20 year investment horizon for most people on this call. I hope it's a 20 year investment horizon for me, although I'm pushing 60. So uh, maybe, a, uh, you know, I'm playing with I'm playing with Charlie Munger odds here, too. But uh, keep the faith, people. This is happening. Uh, spent some time in Edinburgh with Jeff Booth, some time in Bulgaria with Jeff Booth and some time in Amsterdam with Jeff Booth. 
And I just got a PhD in uh, understanding what is being built on the layer two and layer three of Bitcoin. It will blow your minds very simply and just stay the course. Heck yeah, I agree with that 100%. Like we've seen peaks into that <clears throat> over the last two weeks with companies like Impervious um, and and things of that nature. Just what layer two lightning is enabling and just what's coming. It was impossible to predict where we are today in terms of the internet, the smartphones we're talking to each other on right now. All of this, impossible to predict. You wouldn't have known it was going to happen and uh, I think we're on the cusp of a, a huge level up for mankind. Let's do some announcements real quick. We got and we'll go to you right after. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we do talk about Bitcoin. It is the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Chill out, talk about what's going on. It is also a podcast up on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. You can throw me or Swan a follow to be notified of when those drop. Man, we are only two weeks away from the Pacific Bitcoin experience coming up here shortly in November 10th and 11th. Go to PacificBitcoin.com. It's not too late to get your tickets, guys. Promo code CAFE for a discount. Lead sponsors have stepped up. Leaden, by the way, who we're going to have this afternoon. Usually on Fridays, we do a Swan Private Macro Friday. We're not doing that today. We've got the, the CEO um, and... Uh, the chief strategy officer of Leaden. So, if you're curious about what Leaden is, this this uh, the second hour of the show is we're gonna we're gonna talk to them. Um, also, Prime Trust, Ibex Mercado, or Ibex Pay is gonna be handling <clears throat> all the vendors, hooking them up. So, if you're attending Pacific Bitcoin, you can pay for your art and your food and your stuff with Bitcoin over Lightning if you want. Let's hear from Sailor. We'll talk a little bit about the events that are gonna be happening, and we'll keep rolling. I don't travel to these things very often. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Everybody in the Bitcoin world seemed to be there. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? People reached out to me and said I should come. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? I didn't really want to miss this. It's going to be the event, 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 event of the year. Year, year, year. Let's go! The event, 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 event of the year. Year, year. The event, 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 event of the year. Year, year. Should be a good time. All right. So other things that are happening. So I'm going to be there all week. I know a lot of the swans are coming in on on like the Sunday prior. I'm going to be there for the whole week. Um, there's stuff happening all week. On Wednesday, there's going to be a thank God for Bitcoin thing in the morning. The stack chain has got its own sta- uh, hackathon going on that Wednesday. There's going to be a pleb party with Anders, which apparently is absolutely blowing up. Uh, that evening, Thursday night after the conference, conference Thursday will be conference. After that will be a VIP only party, sailor, speakers, VIP ticket holders. Um, Friday, again, conference. And then after the conference, we'll be turn it into a nightclub for a little bit, just a couple hours. It'll still be fun. Uh, Saturday, Pleb Beach Party, VIP wrap party. Oh, we're supposed to announce the winner of the GA ticket. We will get that out to you. We'll probably tweet it out here in a little bit after the show, maybe. But we'll let you know who the winner is of that. 
Uh, finally, if you're considering a VIP ticket, you can shoot me a DM. I've got a special code for you that's even better because it's mine. Also, if you uh, are a Swan client, talk to your rep. They have a code for you. Go ahead, Wicked. What do you got? Um, I, I was wondering, so, you know, with large institutions and pension fund, funds thinking about Bitcoin, um, you know, what is it that's that's causing them to be reluctant? You know, what, what is it that's going to, like, what is it going to take for that, that first mover to make a move and then, you know, topple that domino and get the institutional FOMO going? <laughs> Or do you think they'll always be like level-headed and not FOMO? Because I mean, I mean, you know, let, let's be honest. I mean, once the supply shock starts, and it always, I don't know why it surprises people every time, but it always does. Because everyone, you know, it's a, maybe it's because it's four years apart and that's just long enough for us to fucking forget what the last one felt like. But like once it starts, everyone just starts going crazy. And I feel like this next one, if it, if large institutions are involved in the way that we thought they would be with the previous one, but they never really came to the table. But if they come to the table this time, things will get really fucking crazy, don't you think? Yep. Hey, I, yeah, I'll just say yep and go ahead, you guys. Uh, Wicked, here's what I would say. And here's why the process, and I know Boss has talked about it before, but I've talked about it before as well. Let's take a your typical pension fund. Um, um, or your endowment or foundation, um, not necessarily your family office. They move a lot quicker than bureaucratic run organizations. Um, let's say there's an analyst that's done a tremendous amount of work on Bitcoin and, and can uh, articulately uh, explain it to his superior, um, the portfolio manager. Um, and, so that's that's layer one. Layer two is if he can sell the portfolio manager, the portfolio manager has to sell it to um, the deputy CIO who has to sell it to the CIO who has to sell it to the board. And so the process has multiple layers. And I can tell you just from raising institutional capital in the traditional equity markets for you know 20 plus years, um, you can go all the way up the chain and be infarcted by one board member that um, is against something. So it is a long process. Um, but what ends up happening is um, when key marquee institutions um, get all the way through the process and move to adoption or allocation, um, and it is known um, and it is beneficial to their performance. Um, it's a herd mentality. And that's typically how it works. And All right. This is a super important point you just mentioned. Most people don't know what that means. When you say get all the way through the process, like for most people who are managing their own money, they're like, hmm, what should I buy? Got some stocks over here. Got some bonds over here. Got this, that, the other thing do some research. You know what? Let's buy this. That's about how it works. Okay. That's not how it works with what you're talking about. How long does it take for them to finally do the due diligence on a, on a, on a move? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's no answer for that, but I can tell you that 
the tail's real long. Like I have spent five to seven years at some point um, pitching our strategy to institutions. Some, you know, like warp speed time would be provided that they're absolutely interested out of the gate and we go to due diligence. Um, used to, warp speed used to be six months. It's 12 months now. And I think that's moving out more towards an 18-month time frame. Um, that's warp speed. Um, I've closed business after five years, seven years of pitching. Uh, it's a marathon. Um, so the process can be extremely long. Um, but what expedites the process is FOMO. So if, as I said, marquee institutions are uh, making an allocation into a specific asset class and their performance uh, is superior to their peers because of that allocation, um, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because no one wants to miss out. So I don't know if I, but the point is, is that there is a enormous layer of due diligence that goes into it um, from the, from the bottom all the way to the top. Now let's say that it doesn't start at the bottom and it starts it in the C-suite. Okay. So the CIO wants to invest in Bitcoin. Well, there's still a tremendous amount of work that he will or she will have, you know, the team do to be able to pitch to the board. And that, that process just takes a very, 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 very long time. And, but once it happens, it happens so fast. And what I can tell you is the work, there are already pension funds, there's already endowments and foundations that are investing in Bitcoin. Okay. What I can tell you is that you're going to see a tremendous amount more um, in this next bull run without question. And, and also remember, whether it's private equity or it's bonds or it's equities or, or it's commodities, we're talking about asset classes that have been around forever. We're talking about a very young asset class here. So that brings a whole nother level of scrutiny. And you know what the interesting timing uh, worth, I think you agree on this, is the first time in history that the 60-40 portfolio, 60% equities, 40% bonds, have both been down double digits uh, over a, a nine-month period. Okay, This is historic destruction of capital, uh, particularly as uh, Jeff said, you know, your traditional safe haven, your bond allocation, which has been skewered. Uh, down double digits uh, on the global aggregate index uh, uh, and in the in, in long treasury bonds and long gilts in uh, in in the UK uh, they were down 50 five zero percent in the gilt market in the in in the UK I just can't imagine being a guy that opens his pension uh, uh, plan statement for you know the last quarter. And says, what the hell just happened? I mean, I, I, I don't have a security of a pension anymore uh, because a defined contribution or defined benefit uh, plan that is unfunded or underfunded now because the bond portfolio got so destroyed. Uh, when traditionally, if equities went down, people ran to bonds 
And as interest rates went down, bond prices went up. Well, this year it hasn't worked. In fact, it's worked so poorly that uh, Ray Dalio took it upon himself to get out of the business, which uh, great trade, Ray. I mean, you milked the fiat system like a champ. Uh, and he's out of Bridgewater because, you know, his balanced or risk parity portfolio uh, doesn't work over time. And you can only be short for so long. Uh, this is a time when pension allocators are going to have to look for diversification strategies to meet, um, you know, their funded obligations. Uh, CalPERS has chosen to do it with leverage. I suggest CalPERS look to the UK pension uh, uh, experience where they were levered three times on their long bond portfolio using a strategy called LDI, Liability Driven Investing, uh, and uh, they levered it three times. Well, what's three times 50%? That's 150%. They not only lost everything in that strategy, but they drew down 50% off of other strategies uh, in the pension fund. What a disaster, a bunch of monkeys managing money. You pay them peanuts, you get monkeys, okay? Start paying your pension plan guys properly. You'll get people who understand how to allocate and diversify for risk. Uh, over and out, guys. I got to jump to another uh, to another appointment. But Jeff, I look forward to talking with you on uh, on Monday, this Halloween. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll dive deeper into this subject okay guys have a great weekend adios greg thanks for stopping uh, great, by. great points let me let me add one thing to that um that that i think's um critical um it, there's there's three times when you get um first off if you look at the portfolio of a large institution just think about it as a pie and most of those institutions keep very little cash and so in order to make it into that pie, a slice has to come out. So when you get, um, you know, one, two, three standard deviation moves one way or the other in certain asset classes, it, it, it um, requires uh, a rebalance. And the opportunity set um, is that is when, you know, a new strategy or a new asset can garner more exposure within the portfolio or be introduced into the portfolio because you're having rotation. Um, and remember pensions and endowments and foundations, they have spin rates. So they have to meet, meet those spin rates. Um, and it's only when they raise capital from donors or pension funds, when the contributions are made, um, that they get new capital and they keep that fully, uh, um, allocated to those current investments. So you have to have a slice of the pie to come out, come in. I couldn't be more excited about where we are in the ball in the market that would allow Bitcoin to have a piece in that pie. Definitely exciting times. So in a little bit here, next 10 minutes or so, we're going to be uh, shifting the conversation and focusing in on Ledin. Um, before we get there, even, I want to invite these guys here up on stage or who are already on stage, I should say. Excuse me. Welcome and good morning to Adam Reeds, uh, one of the founders and the CEO of Ledin. Good morning, Adam. Hey, good morning, Alex. Thanks for having us on. You bet, man. Thanks for hanging out. Also, 
appreciate you guys for uh, for sponsoring Pacific Bitcoin. Very excited to see you guys there. We've also got the chief strategy officer of Ledin and founder uh, Mauricio Di Bartolomeo. I'm sorry, hope I said your name right. You got it. You got it. That was right. pretty good. All right. And uh, see you all. Thanks for having us. You bet, man. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, and then also we've got Stephen Lubka up here who is the head of Swan Private. He Stephen was instrumental in connecting Swan up with Ledin. Uh, we do refer Swan Private clients to you guys to, to do different things because you offer some um, sort of what we kind of view maybe best in class or maybe even unique things in the market. Thank you for the kind words, and uh, and yeah, it's been it's been amazing to work with you all, and uh, I can't wait to I can't wait to see what we can do next. Absolutely, yeah, it's it's been awesome. I think a quick comment. Um, I've you know I've I've worked with you guys I think a couple different times for a few unique situations on a number of clients, and you guys have always been awesome, and I've been impressed with uh, what you've put together and. Um, I think just the way, obviously, that Ledin handled the kind of the blow up in all of the other companies that kind of touched these areas. So that was that was, I think, really really reinforcing to the relationship. So kudos to you guys for that. I appreciate it, uh, Stephen, and, and thank you for for uh, you know believing in us and, and trusting us with your clients. We, we know just how much you care about every single person that supports you. Same with us. And so um, for us, it's been. Uh, it's been interesting times for sure. Uh, you know, some of the some of the theses that we had when we started building that in uh, basically took a while to prove themselves true because the markets were just too riled up uh, in the run up. But uh, but it is uh, it is encouraging to see that a lot of the, the hard decisions we had to make to kind of stay disciplined uh, during the rally uh, basically all paid dividends in a in a time of turmoil. Uh, and we're we're you know thankfully in a much different position uh, than many of the. Other companies, I guess, that were trying to do similar things. The water, uh, or I should say, that the tide has indeed gone out. Right? There's a, a bit, there was a lot of naked swimmers. A bit too many, yeah. Um, you know, I uh, I was you know I think all of us I, I would say I don't want to speak for everyone else, but I think it was quite surprising to see uh, the lack of policies and 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 risk controls uh, in some of these companies and and just how badly they had in many cases misrepresented the the risks and and the things that they were doing to protect those risks um, that very few of the things that they claimed to be doing you know panned out to be true um, and and we saw all sorts of mistakes you know ranging from concentration risk to duration mismatch um, to um, yeah, it was just a complete, uh, even a complete lack of controls on the underwriting piece. Uh, so we can, you know, happy to kind of dive into the into the details as to what we did differently. But uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a very interesting few months. And I think, you know, the the sort of lesson here is that I believe not, not all lending platforms are created equal. You know, we said this several times, uh, but I think that's more true today than ever before. So happy to kind of go walk through, you know, what we have coming up, what we do differently. Uh, you know, answer questions from anyone that that uh, you know wants to know particular points. You know, throughout basically around what happened. But yeah, uh, yeah, here here to chat, and, and we're very proud of of the entire team, and and so happy to be in a position where we can sponsor something like Pacific Bitcoin uh, and, and be there with our team. Uh, so I actually very excited 
Unfortunately, I personally won't be able to be there, but Adam will be with a bunch of other members in our team. Um, but uh, I am very excited. It, it, it is shaping up to be a, a pretty phenomenal event. Yeah, yesterday we had um, Fred Teal from uh, the from Marathon, one of the publicly traded, one of the largest miners, industrial miners in the world, and it was it was interesting because we were having a similar conversation about the whole. He called it a nuclear winner. <laughs> That's the first time I've heard anybody say that about you know where crypto Bitcoin's at today. But um, and just the ability to navigate that downturn especially for companies that require very precise risk management because when the market is super in super euphoria you know the, the price is is mooning or or it's on a rocket ship and everybody's excited and it's it's really easy from a human nature perspective to get caught up in that and maybe be less um less precise in understanding what could happen and if there was a downturn so yeah, absolutely. We want to definitely dig into all of that with you. Um, really quickly before we do, I'm going to make a, a quick uh, reminder to people. Pacific Bitcoin, this is like shameless plug, guys. We're on the cusp two weeks out. PacificBitcoin.com, promo code CAFE for a discount. Um, don't miss it, guys. This is going to be so awesome. And it's going to be very tight-knit. I'm I'm telling you, I, I get the feeling that the that the signal to person ratio is going to be extremely, extremely high. So I would not miss it. Um, do you guys want to start by maybe telling people a little bit about for people who don't know, what is Leaden? Like what is this thing that you guys are doing and why are you doing it? How did this thing start up? Yeah, it's 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 probably my favorite question to answer. Um, so Ledin is a financial services company for Bitcoin and USDC holders. So we offer savings and credit products for both Bitcoin and USDC. And um, our flagship product, what people know us most for, is our Bitcoin-backed loans. Um, we, uh, that was a, the, the product we went to market with. And yeah, like I said, the, the, people that, the product that most people have experience with. Shortly after the launch of the Bitcoin back loan, we, we launched a Bitcoin savings account. We had a, a lot of clients come to us say that they, they love the platform. They love the transparency. They don't really need a loan at the moment, but they would, like to, they would love to earn some interest on some of their Bitcoin. And, uh, and, and we saw an opportunity there to work with, with institutions to essentially uh, aggregate those Bitcoins, lend them out. And then we collect interest from the institutions. We take a spread and then we pay interest rates to the saver clients. And so that was the genesis of that, of that product. Uh, then we noticed a lot of people were using our, our Bitcoin back loans to buy more Bitcoin. And so we, we kind of productized that use case by, by creating a loan called B2X, which is a loan that lets you buy, let, lets you use the Bitcoin you already own to buy more Bitcoin. And um, we also added the ability to trade between the savings accounts so, so that people want to take advantage of market opportunities without having to leave the lender platform. Uh, and then most recently, we announced the Bitcoin mortgage, which we announced last year. And the genesis of that product was because a lot of our clients were coming up and taking very big loans to buy property with the hopes of going to the bank, getting a mortgage at a better rate, and then repaying part of the loan. Uh, but, but what happened was they would go to the bank and the bank said, you have no income, you can't get a mortgage even if you own the house. And, and the clients were coming back to lend and say, hey, you know, bank's not really giving me a mortgage, can you do the mortgage? Uh, and after enough times of that happening, we, we decided to kind of put our heads together and, and to bring this to market. 
And um, most recently, um, we announced the, uh, a planned acquisition of Arch Novum. Uh, that, that transaction is subject to regulatory approval, but that will allow us to release a whole new suite of private wealth products catered to accredited investors, which is something that we're going to, um, you know, I don't want to spill the beans too much, but we're going to have something exciting to announce at SWAN. And, um, and uh, the genesis of it really came from Adam and I not wanting to sell our Bitcoin. Um, I started out mining Bitcoin in Venezuela and, and, and basically hyperinflation. And I saw Bitcoin mining go viral down there as people were exiting the Bolivar into anything, really, to protect themselves. And in a time where buying dollars, frankly, impossible and even illegal in Venezuela and even euros, like there was everywhere you wanted to try to protect your wealth, the government deemed, uh, you know, impossible for you to do so. And um, because of that and out of that desperation, a lot of people started turning to Bitcoin. And um, I was actually on the ground as this starts happening. And I saw my family set up a bunch of mines, you know, cousins, relatives, friends, everybody was setting up mines. Okay, let me stop you right there for one second, because I'm super curious about this. This is fascinating. I didn't know this about your background. Like, so you're telling me that as that currency system started to collapse, the government made it illegal for you to to basically have an exit. They were trying to trap people in this sinking ship. Does that sound right? That that is correct, and I and I and I invite anybody on this call that has tried to buy or sell dollars in a place like Argentina or even China, even Nigeria, Palestine. Most places around the world have a limit on how many dollars you could buy with your local currency. Right. Um, okay. And- now, now, how did they how did they react to Bitcoin? Was it the same thing? Was it basically illegal to convert currency into Bitcoin? So at first, they they well, it was a bit of a process. So. First, they were unaware of what was happening. Um, then when they realized that there were people that were mining Bitcoin and protecting their savings, what the government in Venezuela did at the time, and, and this almost warrants a whole separate podcast, but, but, but what ended up happening is, do you guys or anyone recall the Petro efforts from the Venezuelan government? Yep, sure do. Okay. Exactly. So the Petro, as we all know, is a scam. Um, and the Petro was designed... Not as a token. My my personal thesis is that the petrol was never intended to be uh, an actual token or money form. It is effectively defunct. Nobody uses it. Um, but what it did do at the time was that at, because they were hyped in in, the, in their efforts to try to hype up the petrol, they were effectively promoting or educating their cronies on what Bitcoin mining was. So. If you look back at the Petro teaching seminars and sessions, they all had Bitcoin ASICs in them, and they almost had them in a display, in a, in a sort of like examine it so that you know what it's like display. And keep in mind, the Petro was never meant to be mined via ASICs. They were, the, ASICs the ASICs were there for a different purpose. And so ironically, or not ironically, I would say not surprisingly, Shortly after these education sessions were being rolled out around the country, we started these random visits at our mining facilities from people that claim to be, you know, members of the utility company or members of, uh, you know, the government, uh, you know, uh, checking the, the, the municipal payment of the, imp- of the taxes, right? And these people would then show up 
later uh, because the, and they weren't in fact you know members of the of the utility company they were not members of the government they were effectively like crony police officers or, or crony members of the Maduro regime and they started extort like trying to extort miners and uh, I had many friends who had to pay money to just you know make them go away um, but in my personal case the culmination of this sort of uh, situation was the the we had a, a bunch of you know crony members of the police raid my family's mining facility, and um, when they raid our mining facility is when uh, my brother and, and else that I had in my family remaining in Venezuela uh, makes the decision to leave the country. They had to leave the country because they were trying to, the, the the these crony police members were trying to extort them and and kind of push all sorts of false claims on on them because they they captured or not they captured they, they went into our facility and they took 17 of our miners um, and i can kind of show you the link to the articles and such here if i can share it um but they tried to make an example out of us because they they figured out that we we were helping other people mine and uh and what ended up happening was you know they, they thought they were going to get us uh but what we ended up doing was we were able to transfer all of our bitcoin to where we were, I was in Canada. The rest of my family was uh, had gone to the U.S. and later to Europe. And what that did was that that marked the sort of a, a big shift in our family. We we all basically from that point on left the country. And my two brothers and I, in our own ways, went into Bitcoin businesses. And uh, I'm happy to say that my middle brother works with us here today at Ledin, the guy whose facility was raided. Uh, and uh, he is our, our head of sales, uh, and uh, and I have I have an absolute blast working not just with him but with a bunch of other amazing Bitcoiners here at Ledin. Wow, that's a fantastic story. Thanks, man. Right. And I can get extended, I, so I'll pause. <laughs> but, I do okay. feel like we could make that into its own. Like we could talk about that for probably like an hour. Like where all where all that. I'm, I think the important takeaway right there is that it just shows that humans are going to do what they need to do. Like if we're, if you're interested in maintaining your freedom, I mean, you're going to do what you got to do. Uh, it's fascinating to me. Um, okay. So let's talk about, so why Leaden and, and what is it and what does it do? I mean, I mean, we talked about that a, a little bit, but like, if yeah. you want to expand upon that and then we'll move into more of the, why are you guys still here? <laughs> because, this year has been pretty brutal for a lot of what many people would probably argue are similar entities to you. For sure. Alex, um, Adam here, I can, I can jump into that one. So I guess what's interesting just to kind of tie together Mauricio's experience with my own is I had the opposite experience growing up. I was fortunate to grow in, grow up with a complete financial stability in Canada. And I think what's interesting about Canada is actually often described to friends and family that I think Canada, Canadians are the hardest to explain Bitcoin to uh, because, relatively speaking, there's high trust in government. Uh, there's, you know, the, the five major Canadian banks that made it through the last financial crisis. Uh, we've had relatively stable housing. So when it comes to options to do with their savings, uh, there's, there's a plethora of options in Canada. So I think a lot of Ledin's origins came from Mauricio and I having conversations about just how different our experience was with money. And then the realization and the aha moment that, that Bitcoin equalized that for everybody. And then when we can think about Bitcoin as, a, as an asset and uh, therefore a collateral asset when you want to make uh, uh, you know, different um, 
uh, you know, a financial platform from it, it, it becomes very interesting because it's really equal to everybody uh, everywhere in the world. Doesn't care where you are. Doesn't care who you are. Doesn't care what religion you are, what language you speak. It's just the same to everybody. And that was really an equalization of, of financial services. So the ability to take uh, what I was fortunate to have in, in Canada and many are fortunate to have it in the U.S. And, and Western Europe and other places in the world and make that the same to everyone in places like Venezuela uh, was, uh, again, the, the thesis behind Latin and, and how to equalize that uh, and, and just really simplify the, the financial experience as well. So you can't do this with, with say, real estate. Uh, the rules around property rights are different uh, for real estate uh, in you know, Canada than they are in Venezuela, but you can definitely do it uh, for Bitcoin. And that was the, the thesis of a Bitcoin-backed loan is uh, this is really amazing because it actually uh, simplifies the experience and, uh, frankly, lowers the cost of, of financing uh, because the, you don't have any of the, the nuances that are associated with the uniqueness of the asset uh, and kind of building the platform from there. So I came from uh, building uh, infrastructure projects. So I was building out infrastructure projects in Canada, U.S., Europe, and Latin America as well, uh, and uh, understanding the nuances of that. And when Mauricio introduced me to Bitcoin mining, uh, really, I couldn't believe that we couldn't obtain a debt financing for Bitcoin mining because to me, it was an infrastructure project. It, it, you know, high upfront cost, long-term cash flow, uh, great investment, uh, but again, not able to, to see that the same uh, in the financial institutions. So really, that was why you created Latin uh, and really built it on the thesis of equalizing financial services for, for everybody. All right, awesome. So I think a lot of people are probably wondering what is like your uh, your regulatory position, meaning are you guys a licensed lender? Do you have the money transmitter licenses? I mean, all that kind of stuff. What were you required to do to do what you're doing? And um, Yeah, for sure. So we're definitely regulated by activity and then uh, by jurisdiction. So really the kind of uh, uh, bifurcation globally uh, really comes through securities laws. Everywhere in the world has anti-money laundering legislation. So uh, even if we're transacting in Nigeria, uh, you know, the, the U.S. is going to still care uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, those funds are clean. Uh, and being a you know, centralized entity, we, we obviously ha have to do that. Uh, and so we, we are set up with, you know, FinCEN in the U.S. for anti-money laundering, you know, FinTrack in Canada uh, in that respect. And then when it comes to lending, uh, lending, uh, generally speaking, uh, it falls into consumer protection laws. So are you lending at fair rates? Uh, because our Bitcoin-backed loans are at 7.9%, uh, you know, that, that falls well under the, the, the critical interest rate in most jurisdictions. But then there are some uniquenesses uh, to that. So, uh, for example, in some states above certain loan amounts, you need a lending license. Uh, or sorry, below certain loan amounts, you need certain lending licenses. And that's really, again, for consumer protection relating to making sure you're not doing predatory lending. Uh, so we are active in about half the U.S. states. Uh, we're working on closing out some of the remaining lending licenses. We have a few. And then in most jurisdictions, we are open up uh, globally for our loan product. Uh, when it comes to our uh, trade product that is regulated as a security in, in Canada uh, because of really the, the legacy of what happened with Kudriga, uh, but that's an MSB uh, or, or money transmitter uh, in, 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 the, in the U.S., so it kind of depends on that nuance. Uh, and then when it comes to our savings accounts, uh, again, this is the securities law. So uh, in the U.S. and Canada, uh, they're now open up uh, to accredited uh, other jurisdictions that, that haven't formalized securities laws uh, for, for Bitcoin. Uh, they are open. 
Uh, and then actually that, that ties together what Mauricio opened with, with the Arx Novum acquisition. So uh, with Arx Novum, what we've done is we've bought an entity that's regulated to uh, create and distribute private funds. And our plan with those is to migrate uh, the savings accounts that we have for Bitcoin and U.S. dollar stablecoins uh, into uh, a product that allows you to get uh, yield on those assets uh, through a regulated fund. Uh, and then we'll be distributing that in Canada, uh, in the U.S. and internationally uh, once we have the appropriate uh, regulatory wrappers uh, to do that. So it's a long answer because it's, it's complex, as you can appreciate the world is a bit of a checkerboard when it comes to regulation. Oh yeah, for certain. Um, all right, so let's talk about nuclear winter. Why are you guys still here? <laughs> um, yeah, I can, I can, I can start that one. And Adam, feel free to chime in, uh, whatever. But um, so, I think you know, first to kind of paint a picture of what happened. I think a lot of people, you know, point to one specific event or one specific nuclear Armageddon. But I, I think it, it actually how it really unfolded was that it was a sequence of events and a sequence of mistakes that just kind of unraveled into this, into this massive, ex, uh, ex, basically it was a series of events that brought the tide down and that exposed some players, those players, uh, that player ended up having a lot of concentration risk, but here like, I'll, I'll try to paint a picture. The first thing I think that went wrong was, or that triggered the whole thing was the collapse of Terra and Luna. And the collapse of Terra and Luna was a, a pretty material event in that it wiped $60 billion worth of paper wealth out of the system. Is and that all? Jeez. <laughs> so tiny. Just a small amount. And uh, it, But the interesting thing of it being decentralized finance was that people could see who was exposed to this uh, disaster uh, because the, the wallets were tagged. And so what ended up happening was that you started seeing that some lenders had some major exposure to this uh, collapse. And people naturally started protecting themselves and yanking funds out of these, uh, out of these entities that were related or, or in, on the periphery or associated with this Luna mess. As these, as these companies started having to process all of these withdrawals, it started exposing a second issue, which was the fact that a lot of these companies were, uh, had, a maturity mismatch. And what does that mean? It means that a lot of these entities were taking open term savings deposits that could be withdrawn at any time and using that money to finance multi-year mining projects, many times with hardware that was being purchased at three to five times the actual cost because they were buying this hardware at the peak of the, of the cycle. And what happened was that as these withdrawal requests started coming in, the entities didn't have the cash on hand to process these withdrawals. And so they start having to do all these funky things like converting one asset to another to process the withdrawals. And again, because some of them were very involved in DeFi, all of these things were, were evident and public and people got even more scared. And so then, you know, the, the fact that they didn't have the cash on hand created this insolvency issue and this insolvency fear. And as all these loans were getting called out, called back, and, margin, and people were getting margin called, there was one massive entity that could not meet those margin calls, enter Three Arrows. And when Three Arrows was basically started telling its borrowers or its, its lenders that it could not return their capital, um, then, then panic started ensuing because what, what had happened was that there was a great deal of entities across the board that were lending to this group, this Three Arrows group, 
Um, and and it, there was a massive concentration risk around the entities that were lending to Three Arrows. And then when that entity goes under, that basically, you know, really throws a lot of these, you know, shaky lenders into full out insolvency. And um, and so that's how I would sort of describe the, the sort of crescendo of what happened. And now I can get into why it didn't impact Ledin. So the first thing or the first reason why it didn't impact Ledin is because we don't expose any client assets to DeFi. So we were not involved with Terra. We were not involved with Luna. We were not involved with any of the bridge hacks that you've seen. And that in itself, you know, Ledin was never a, a sort of part of that conversation. So we were very, you know, very distanced from this Terra Luna situation. Then um, the second thing is that we only support Bitcoin and USDC, which are the, the sort of two deepest liquidity assets in the lending markets. So we never had a need to convert you know, assets into a different asset. And, and we didn't ever create a mismatch on the, on the actual asset that we have to return to the client. And, um, and um, you know, moreover, we, we have matched terms on everything we do. So if, if a client gives us a Bitcoin and, and they can withdraw that Bitcoin at any time, we will also be able to pull that Bitcoin back at any time from the lenders so that we can make our savers whole. And so we don't have a, a, an asset or maturity mismatch in our books. The other one was that we, uh, and so, so by, that, by proxy of that, we didn't get involved with, with financing mining operations. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure some people on this call have seen what's happening to Core Scientific. Uh, there's also some other big name lenders on that list of creditors. Uh, Ledin is nowhere to be found on that list again. Um, but then, you know, and then the third piece is our underwriting process. Our underwriting process is a lot, at least we found out, than everyone else. Uh, and uh, and an example of that is we did not lend to Three Arrows. Three Arrows came three times on our desk. They knocked on our door, and, you know, trying to get assets from us, but they never wanted to provide financial statements. And by that, they were never approved at Ledin. We never lent any assets. To wow. Three Arrows. Uh, and they kept, ironically, they kept saying to us that we were the only lenders that weren't lending to them. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, as if, as if, you know, that was going to make us feel some type of FOMO, uh, but it, it did not. And, uh, and so that, and, and that's for, you know, I have to, you know, we have to give credit to our desk and, and John Glover, who, who was basically, uh, you know, stood up that, that operation and put them all those processes in place, uh, but that's that. Oh, and the other thing that we do very differently is that we started doing proof of reserves, you know, now two years ago, uh, well before I think people thought it was, you know, something that was required. All right, explain and, uh, that because that right there is super important to to Bitcoiners. What is what are you talking about? Hundred percent. So that is actually very unique to Ledin. We um, we are the only group that does proof of reserves in this manner today, and we started doing them two years ago and. I uh, can explain that process. So um, every six months at Ledin, we have a public accountant, Armanino LLP, that comes into Ledin with assistance from management and reviews all of our assets. And these are assets that could be sitting in our custody, could be sitting in our exchange partners, or they could be lent out to our counterparties. They basically tally up all those assets and then they uh, get a, a, a basically an anonymized set of uh, a, a list, basically, of all the assets that our clients hold. And um, they ensure that the assets that we have, uh, you know, on our books are more than sufficient to cover our liabilities as represented by 
the deposits that our clients have on the Ledin platform and the collateral for their loans, everything that, you know, every asset that they own that is on Ledin is a liability on Ledin's books. And we basically make sure that the assets that we have lent out are enough to cover those liabilities. Um, and the interesting thing about this process is that the way that this process could be, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, inaccurate is if Ledin were to, you know, tell the accountant uh, a, a number of, of client assets that aren't true. And that would make our, you know, our, you know, that would make our client liabilities smaller than they actually are. But in order to get around that, we share uh, with our clients the anonymized, uh, the anonymized ID set of their report for that particular audit. And what that allows them to do is to go to the accountant's website and ensure that we reported the client balance exactly to the Satoshi and exactly to the cent aligned to the date of the audit. And that ensures that we are fully representing all of our liabilities and that therefore the assets that we have on our books can then cover the liabilities. Um, that's our proof of reserves at the station process. In addition to that, which is a separate audit, we just appointed Deloitte as our external audit partner. And that is something that makes us incredibly proud, uh, especially as auditors are jumping off Simlanders. We, we just got Deloitte to basically agree to become our, uh, our external audit partner which is something that I think is a testament to, to kind of how we, how we run the business. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> Companies like that typically do not, will not have their name associated with some kind of shady operation. They do their own due diligence to figure out whether they're even willing to take you on as a, as a client. So that's, that's an interesting uh, point. It sounds to me like you guys have some adults running your ship over there. That's pretty good. I, I, if you're, if it's all right with you, I'm going to let say, you know, anything important that you think you want to talk about at this point, let's do that. Then we can open it up um, for questions. I'm going to warn you in advance. You might get some sharp questions. We have a, a history of asking sharp questions on this show to people who come on. I think it makes the community much better. So if that happens, um, you know, just be ready for that. Uh, but yeah, D is there anything in particular you guys want to point out or, or mention right now before we jump to, to open it up a little bit? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, thanks Alex. I think uh, just to round it out, uh, we've always been in the business of, of keeping things simple. Like our favorite saying at Latin is the best restaurants have the smallest menu. Uh, so what we really mean by that is uh, I think with, with simplicity comes better client service, better client experience, and is a, is a more secure business to run. Right? I think when we look at the complexity that a lot of other businesses got into, uh, it came, came down to incentives. Uh, a lot of us, uh, a lot of others in the space were on a mission to build up the biggest uh, AUM they could as quickly as possible. And we're just taking a much longer term view. Uh, so we're excited to incrementally add things uh, like the Bitcoin mortgage that we introduced last December. Uh, but we're never going to go crazy. Uh, we're always going to keep, keep core to making sure it adds value uh, to our clients. So you'll see us ship new things, but always in a thoughtful way. Anything else, Mauricio? Well, it's, there's a, there, I, I can't spill the beans on the Swan announcement, but you're making me want to. We'll have some pretty cool stuff to announce at Swan. Uh, you know, we, we've been keeping busy. You, you probably saw our, our new look uh, uh, and, and our, our new brand that we just announced not too long ago. Um, but we are working on some pretty interesting, uh, like Adam said, new products and, uh, but, but always sort of, you know, making sure we're doing this very methodically and most importantly, sustainably. 
because uh, I think uh, that that is something that I think has kind of gone missing from the crypto uh, or some of the crypto um, um, companies or platforms. There was just a bit of a culture of excesses uh, in terms of, you know, they, they had raised so much money out of the gate and that just a lot of the times they were done through ICOs, which mean, means, you know, a lot of people aren't accountable for that cash. So that creates a bit of a, you know, cultural traits within the company that are not great. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we're very focused on just making sure everything is set up for the long term. You know, Adam and I put our, you know, our, our capital, our reputations, you know, on this business. And, and we want to make sure that it, it stays here for, you know, as long as we do and more and then some. Outstanding. All right, let's open it up. If you're on the panel up here and you have questions for these guys, you know the drill. Uh, let's see some hands. We'll go kind of in order. If you're in the audience, you want to ask questions, you can request to come up. We'll bring you up. We'll be kind to you, I promise. If you want to ask a question in text, you can do so at t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. That's our Telegram group. Um, yeah, let's go. Worth. Yeah, I wondered if you could just walk us through uh, your mortgage process. Yeah, happy to do that. Um, so I'll explain a bit about how the product works. The product is live in Ontario today, the Canadian province of Ontario. We are working to bring the product into different uh, states and provinces. The mortgages are, are regulated on a state-by-state, -state, province by province basis. So the way the product works is it takes the Bitcoin that you bring on as collateral. So let's just say you have a million dollars worth of Bitcoin. That will allow you or that will give you a loan to buy an, a, a house of equal value. So if you're putting, you know, say $600,000 worth of Bitcoin collateral, you could potentially purchase a $600,000 house. And the way that the product works is that it takes both the property and the Bitcoin as collateral for the loan. It's a two year term. And um, the, uh, the benefits of having Bitcoin and the property as collateral are, are a bit, you know, they're, 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 there's a few of them. The number one is that the collateral pool is more stable because it has real estate and Bitcoin. So by, by, you know, because of that, it allows us to provide more generous timelines for our clients to top up Bitcoin in the case of a drawdown in price. And so there is, the, the client gets two weeks to top up Bitcoin in the event that it's required. And it's not uh, a sort of, you know, price threshold liquidation basis as it is with the uh, with the standard Bitcoin back loan. So that is, um, you know, that is the sort of gist of the product. And it also allows us to give uh, clients a slightly better rate than with our Bitcoin back loans. Uh, and so the, um, um, the product actually does not charge monthly interest. All the interest, all the interest is prepaid uh, so that the client doesn't have to basically provide monthly, you know, interest payments to the loan itself. And, uh, and, and yeah, and the idea uh, for that loan, again, is to give Bitcoiners, uh, sort of help Bitcoiners, you know, expand the purchasing power of that Bitcoin when it comes to real estate. So, for example, you know, if you showed up with Lenin with 600 grand with a standard Bitcoin back loan, you could only get $300,000 for your house. But with the Bitcoin mortgage, with the same $600,000 worth of Bitcoin, you can access a $600,000 house. So, you know, it, it kind of expands the purchasing power of that original Bitcoin when it comes to real estate. And, and I think that, you know, a future iteration of that product, because it, it was intended for clients that were trying to buy houses with their Bitcoin, 
But we started seeing a lot of inbound from clients that wholly, like fully own their house with no lien on it. And they're looking to take a loan on their house to buy a little bit of Bitcoin. So that's basically the product in reverse. Uh, and, and that's something that, you know, you'll likely see us working on uh, for the next year. That's question. Uh, question on that, Mauricio, is, is it, it sounds like it's, and just for clarification, it's somewhat of a first loss to the borrower. Um, is it a one-to-one ratio that must always be maintained between the collateral and the loan or that seems the way that you described it was yeah that's that's the first law so so if your if your bitcoin depreciates in value then you have to actually come out with the collateral yeah so the bitcoin can drop up to 50% in value from the time the loan is taken before we request for the client oh, to take okay, it back up okay yeah okay okay perfect okay thank you no problem. No, that, that's a really great point. Actually, there's another point that I want to highlight just, and it's unrelated to the mortgage, but before, before I go, because I think it's very important. The biggest fear for most Bitcoiners or the big concern for most Bitcoiners is that they'll wake up when, when they take out a Bitcoin back loan, they go to bed, they wake up the next morning, and the Bitcoin has been sold to close off the loan. That's sort of like nightmare scenario for, for most Bitcoiners. Um, we understand this. And we have been working really hard to create tools to prevent this. So when ex- a good example of this is the, the feature that we just released, which is auto top-ups. And what auto top-ups does is it allows a client that has a balance on their savings account at Ledin, that has Bitcoin on their savings account, and they have an open loan, the client can select that our platform can automatically transfer your Bitcoin from your savings to the loan that needs it, such that it's topped up in 15 seconds of it needing the Bitcoin. And the idea here is to protect our clients from a sudden knee jerk in price when they had the Bitcoin to top it up in the first place, but they just didn't have the time to mechanically go out and do it. And so we released this feature, I think it's three or four weeks ago, and it's, and it's seen a really great uptake. Uh, and I, I'm really excited to see what this can do uh, to protect our, you know, our borrowers. Because obviously a closed loan is not great for Latin and it's not great for our borrowers. We don't want that. Um, and, um, and we're also working on lower LTV options for our loan products so that again, that risk is minimized. So, you know, we want people to walk out with more Bitcoin than they come into letter with, not less. And so that, that's basically, you know, something that we're constantly, uh, iterating on. Yeah. Final, final two questions. One, I did understand that you said it's on a two-year arm and secondly, what's the current, uh, um, rate on that mortgage. Yeah, it's a two-year term right now, and the rate uh, the rate that we have is at two percent admin and five percent. Oh, sorry, five point nine percent interest. Okay, thank you. No problem. All right, uh, I want to go shift really quick to Stephen Lubka. Good morning, uh, Stephen. Do you have a question for these guys that might be um, illuminating to the audience? Or absent that, maybe you could tell us about what your best experience with has been. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know if I have a question top of mind, but maybe I'll tell I'll tell a story about an experience I had with the Leaden team. So. Um, I've worked with them. So I'm, I'm Steven. I run private client for Swan. And so what we do with private client is we do very hands-on one-on-one concierge and advisory relationships with high net worth clients. And so these, these, these clients range, they're all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of very 
all sorts of age groups, all sorts of professions. So it's very personalized and it's, you know, that the needs of one client are always going to be distinct compared to another. Um, so I, I had a client that um, was basically um, looking to looking to generate, so basically looking to buy Bitcoin at a, on the dip, um, but also generate yield on that cash while waiting to purchase Bitcoin at a couple of target prices. This is a strategy he really wanted to do and felt really comfortable with. And uh, Ledin, Ledin was able to offer this really interesting new product. They called it a, a dual currency deposit. It's kind of an option strategy. But it was basically a way where the client could pick a strike like 17K or 16K or something, could deposit cash into the account and basically could earn uh, an interest rate on that cash. Um, and at the expiry, at the end of the contract, which could be like 17 days or 30 days, if the price was at that that strike, that 16K or that 17K, um, it automatically bought Bitcoin at that price. And the, customer, and the client also earned the yield. And if it hadn't hit there, then they just earned a yield and were still in cash. And I thought that was a really interesting thing that I hadn't seen before and certainly wasn't available at any of the other kind of firms or companies that do this kind of thing. And it's been a great experience. I mean, it's, it's, it seems like, uh, in my experience working with the letting guys, they've just continued to roll out interesting new products that have helped us just get clients, the financial services they need. So I, th I thought that was a cool story and a cool product you guys put together. Thank you so much, Steven. Um, more on that in the Swan Conference. <laughs> awesome. One more reason to go to Pacific Bitcoin. You want another reason to go to Pacific Bitcoin? <laughs> I think this has been announced publicly already, so I don't think I'm spilling the beans here, but they're going to be giving away one Bitcoin by they, I mean, fold. They're gonna, there's going to be a live spin wheel where people can go up and spin each day of Pacific Bitcoin, they're giving away an entire Bitcoin. Am I supposed to say that? I probably just got in trouble. John, <laughs> John, what do you got, man? Hey, Alex. Um, I just wanted to chime in with a couple things. Um, firstly, the stuff that uh, the letting guys went through with Three Arrows is just wild to me. Um, I can't help but be reminded of what happened in the TradFi world with Bernie Madoff. Uh, I'm not saying it's exactly the same situation, but it certainly sounds familiar where you have several lenders uh, being willing to accept sketchy financials or maybe even no financials. And then you have others like Ledin who weren't willing to ignore their own diligence process. And Ledin was ultimately proven to be correct in a big way. But I'm sure at points people at Ledin might have been saying to themselves, hold on a minute, we're the only ones not lending to three arrows. You know, are we missing something here? Should we just do it? So good on everyone at Ledin for resisting that and uh, sticking with their process. And then the question I wanted to ask was um, about saving and uh, or interest-bearing accounts. So what would you guys say to someone who says, okay, I see that Ledin fared way better than others during all this madness of 2022, I believe you guys have a better process than the others out there, but I'm still worried about these interest-bearing accounts. So how can you get me comfortable with the fact that I'd be earning, you know, just for example, 8% on USDC? And then related to that, what type of an entity is willing to borrow 
at pretty high rates on the other side of, of that transaction? Yeah, thanks for the question, uh, Adam here. So I think uh, when it comes to these accounts, so what I think is interesting is they started as Bitcoin savings accounts and USDC savings accounts, right? But what we've tried to, to clarify is that you know Bitcoin is the asset and the activity and how you generate that yield is, is, is unique and can be very different. Uh, so one, one key thing we want to make sure that we do is if we're promising a client that they can uh, deposit and earn open term, we better make sure that the way that yield is generated is also open term so that we can call back those assets. So I think when we saw different uh, entities pause withdrawals, uh, some obviously had you know, insolvency issues at the end of the day, and others just had pure liquidity issues. So they locked it up into different types of yield strategies, uh, some you know, just like buying Bitcoin mining equipment where the recovery of that yield comes over many years. Uh, so we just don't do that. We, we match uh, term so that if we are promising open term, those are it's earning open term on the other side. The way we're generating yield today is exclusively through market makers. Uh, so this is lending to large entities where we do financial due diligence on their balance sheet and make sure that they have the capacity to pay us back. And we also spend a lot of time understanding what they're doing. One key thing is that they're not taking directional price risk so that they're not running strategies where if the Bitcoin price increases rapidly or decreases rapidly, uh, they would be caught in the middle. Uh, so that's a key point of due diligence. We want to make sure that these are uh, delta neutral strategies, meaning that they're, they, they make money irrespective of where the Bitcoin price comes. And mo most importantly, they have the capacity to pay us back irrespective of where the price comes. The other thing that we're focused on is diversification. So we make sure that we're not reliant on one entity. We're lending to uh, a select group, uh, but a diversified group of different market maker, ma makers that, uh, again, uh, can, can provide this activity. So it, it's strictly facing other large entities where we have high um, due diligence uh, and, and review of their financial state uh, to make sure that they have the capacity to repay and we understand their activity. Uh, and we're, we're sticking to that uh, core group uh, today. Yeah, and, and I, I just wanted to add briefly, just 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 specifically on the 8% on USDC. So the main vehicle with which we generate yield for USDC is our own Bitcoin-backed loans. So if, if you go to the Ledin platform today, you'll see that our Bitcoin-backed loans are offered at a rate of 7.9% plus a 2% admin fee, which is higher than the 8% that we pay our USDC savers. Uh, and again, you know, that that I think, and, and so I guess th th your follow-on question could be, well, who's borrowing dollars against their Bitcoin at 7.9% and 2% admin? And I think the way you answer that is, it, there's a huge tax implication to anybody that bought Bitcoin at, say, 5K or even 10K and want to sell that Bitcoin to do anything with that cash. Well, there's a big capital gain tax on that transaction. And um, the, the opportunity cost or, or even the, the amount of taxes that you'll pay uh, sometimes are uh, it, it makes financial sense for a client to borrow against their Bitcoin rather than sell the Bitcoin. Uh, and the reasons could be could be many, but primarily if, if you're a sort of, you know, wealthy North American investor that was lucky and bought Bitcoin in the early days, uh, it's really it's really a way for you to be way more efficient on your taxes. That's super helpful. And yeah, to Adam's point about matching term, I believe the Bitcoin backed loans can be closed at any time. Correct. So that's why the USD savings, uh, USDC savings account would be an open term as well. You guys are matching that. Is that right? 
that is correct. And in the in these circumstances, so in the event, for example, because when we fund a Bitcoin back loan, we have the client's collateral, right? The, the Bitcoin collateral. And so basically, even if our entire, you know, if we had to, if we face ourselves in a situation where we had, a, you know, a large number of USDC withdrawals out of the platform, we could basically use the client uh, collateral. Essentially, we would take a bigger Bitcoin back loan from another uh, liquidity provider so that we could basically, you know, we're never, we're, we're never um, exposed, if that makes sense. So we, we can always source the cash for the Bitcoin back loans so that we can return the open term deposits to our USDC savers, if that makes sense. Yeah, very different model than uh, some others <laughs> that we saw play out after the fact this year. All right. So we're pretty much at the end of the show, guys. I mean, this is time has flown by. Um, I think so, I want to thank all of you because I think these have been some really good questions that have revealed a lot of really important things that people have been wondering about or need to know. Uh, so just appreciate you guys coming today. Um, also, Stephen and John and, and Worth and, and really everybody who's who's had some really good questions for these guys Appreciate you guys hanging out. Uh, appreciate you guys sponsoring Pacific Bitcoin. I'm going to give you a few minutes to make some closing comments, both of you, and then we will move to wrap the show. Uh, which one of you guys wants to go first? I can start. Yeah, I was just going to say um, it, it's it's a pleasure uh, building this business, and I think you know the best thing is all the great people that um, get to work with and all of our clients uh, that we get to interact with. Uh, I think we learn a lot from listening to our clients and really through the evolution of Ledin, almost every product we've developed has come out of watching clients and trying to solve uh, problems for them as far as what they do uh, with their flow. So we created a product called B2X that lets people buy more Bitcoin because people are using our loans uh, to do exactly that. Uh, the mortgage came out of watching clients uh, use our Bitcoin back loan, uh, but then concerned about you know overnight liquidations and making sure we could add more stability to it. So. Uh, we really like to listen, and uh, again, we learn a lot uh, from our clients. So, looking forward to meeting as many people as possible. Everyone that's going to be in attendance at uh, Pacific Bitcoin, I get there on November 9th. Uh, so, please ping me, uh, DM me on Twitter if you want to meet up. Would love to say hi in person. Yeah, and I guess what what I would say, uh, you know, to, to, to Stephen and the rest of the Swan team, it's it's been a pleasure working with you. Uh, you know, it's been great to get to meet some of your clients and, and help them, and and you know, make a better experience, sort of as a collective, uh, and, and help them get to their goals. So, uh, really excited about you know working with you guys in the relationship so far, and, and excited to, to you know get even closer at the party at Swan. Likewise, likewise. Um, been phenomenal. Right. That's a wrap. Oh, before we wrap, I should say the winner of the Pacific Bitcoin general admission ticket worth $700 is Fabio Vanelli. Congrats, man. We're doing one more of those. If you want to uh, enter to win, go to swan.com slash um, excuse me, swan.com slash PB giveaway to enter to win. One more. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day. We do talk about Bitcoin. It is the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry, some of the leaders of some of the most advancing companies in the industry. 
just tell, talk about what's going on. This is also a podcast. If you can't catch the live show on Twitter spaces, it is on Fountain, Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your pods. Throw myself or Swan a follow to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show. My crew, Aunt Shane, Sats for Life, producer Jacob. Appreciate you guys. Couldn't do it without you. I am your host, Alex Stanzik. I work with Swan. If you want to know more about Swan, shoot me a DM. Or you can shoot John Hart a DM. He's up here too. Uh, thanks again to our speakers, Mauricio, Adam, everybody who comes up here on Cafe Bitcoin every day and spends your personal time teaching others about this bright orange future. This is what we call get on the mission. We got a lot of work to do, guys. There's a lot of people who don't understand this thing yet. Let's go. I love all you guys. Everybody go out there and have a great day today and crush it. Bye.